nation, if you are a veteran and you are struggling or feel like you are leading towards a path of darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you're a burden to someone or you're embarrassed to talk to your friends or family, call the anonymous hotline at 1-800-273-8255 and take option one. Do not make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps to include the Military Broadcast Radio app and check out our family of shows. They're all hosted by veterans. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, the stories of our guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is a human Swiss army knife, an ultra marathoner, special needs parent, a former intel officer, international martial arts champion, personal Kaizen expert, and author of the Amazon Kindle number one new release, Everyday Excellence. So without further ado, let's welcome Joe Templin to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Joe. Rich, I am glad to be on the island of Misfit Toys. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And that's how we got our name. (laughs) It's uh, great to have you here. Uh, In the pre-show, we were talking about our love of baseball, and uh, you have one side of the aisle, I'm on the other, so you're a Bronx Bomber. I'm a Metropolitan. We'll keep that at bay during this, but we'll, we'll hey, you know what? At least you're not a uh, Red Sox fan, all <laughs> definitely, right? Definitely not. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good right here. My boss at work is a Boston Red Sox fan. I have to hear about them all the time. I don't think they're talking much right now about it. He talks a lot to the TV now, not to me. Ah. So that helps me out. I laugh and I walk away. Well, anyway, Joe. If you don't mind, tell us, uh, the Misfit Nation, a little bit about your backstory and how you got started and where we are today. So my backstory was uh, my dad's former army. My mom was a former nun. There's six kids in my family, so you could just figure it out from there. Um, I grew up in rural upstate New York, farm town. I was severely, severely asthmatic. At 10 years old, I was legally dead from my asthma. Like, you know, floating up, seeing the bright lights and everything came on back. So um, that is part of the reason why I'm like how I am. I am completely driven. I use all 86,400 seconds every single day in every possible way. Uh, I started college at 13 because my parents said 12 was too young to start college. I studied applied physics. I worked for DARPA. Um, I, in fact, helped develop the background in the entire U.S. telecommunications system and a bunch of other stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about still. Um, Then I went into finance, built a financial planning career. Along the way, I also uh, picked up Taekwondo, ended up winning an international championship down the road because the asthma is never allowed to serve the country in uniform, but I ended up uh, doing some time in Intel around the bend for a while, Uh, then um, started running, became an ultra marathoner. No, I am not David Goggins in any way, shape or form. I'm more like a broken shuffling pirate. Um, And through business and Taekwondo and all the other stuff, developed a love for psychology. One of my closest friends is Royal Dutch Marines counter cyber or counterterrorism 
uh, officer. So he and I have some really interesting conversations and all that ultimately led me to trying to make people better through my consulting work. And ultimately that's where the book Everyday Excellence came about as a mechanism to try and reach even more individuals. So that's a little bit of my backstory. A pretty good backstory. I mean, you had asthma and it nearly killed you, but you're an ultra marathoner now. So it's, it's a, a big jump. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's a lot of running, but ultra is only 26.3 miles. So it could be a 26.3 and beyond. I'm sure you've done, gone up to hundreds or whatever by now. Uh, my first one actually was a double marathon because I swore I would never run a marathon again. And so two negatives make a positive. So that's why I did a double marathon the first time. I was actually training for 125 kilometer uh, a couple months ago. I broke my leg, so I'm recovering, which is the reason why I'm not away at a Ragnar this weekend. Ragnars are 200-ish team, 200-ish uh, mile team relay races. So, And Ragnar, uh, do you have them across, uh, like sometimes they go straight across the state or something like that? Uh, yep. So this weekend would be Cape Cod, and so you run all the way across. Yeah, so decorate your van and have fun with your... That's right. Put on my running kilt, and, you know, dress up like a pirate. And, you know, when we're done, drink way too much beer. It, it there is not a too much beer. It, it is refueling. It's liquid it, bread. It's, it's carbohydrates. People need to understand that it helps everything work out. It's made with water. It hydrates you. So, so talk to us about your everyday excellence. Tell us about the book and how you how you decided, hey, I'm going to write a book and help this out, help others through my writing. So everyday excellence is really a multivitamin for life because all of us have multiple components, various dimensions of our life. We have our physical health. We have our mental health. We have our spiritual health. We have our relationships. We have our occupation. We've got all these different components and people often let different parts of their life slip, whether they're going through stress, going through depression, they're just so busy with work or with kids, what have you. So what ends up happening is we get off of the growth mindset that we have as children. You know, you look at a little kid learning to walk, they're going to learn to walk no matter what. And then they're going to start, you know, climbing stuff and pushing things around and getting up and getting into the cookie jar because they want. It. And by the time we are big people, 60 plus percent of us have forgotten that stick to it mentality, that growth focus of learning whatever we can. And so Everyday Excellence was designed to be a tool to help bring that back about in individuals because all too often people in their 20s or 30s or 40s end up starting a premature retrogression, a decline when they should in actuality still be green and growing and continuing to evolve into our 50s, 60s, and even into our 70s. So the book uh, came about because I was downstairs in my weight room listening to some Black Sabbath and some Jocko Willink tossed around my kettlebells and everything. And he, Jocko made a comment about excellence. I'm like, oh, excellence is a habit. Habits need to be practiced every single day. And all of a sudden I had that lightning bolt moment of everyday excellence, put down the kettlebell, came on up, brain dumped for about 10 minutes on the structure of the book and what I wanted to do, then went back downstairs and finished my uh, workout. And then I started really researching and writing the book. And the structure of it is very different from a lot of the other everyday readers. 
in that every day starts with a quote from somebody, could be Jocko Willink, could be Mahatma Gandhi, could be Muhammad Ali, could be Dr. Seuss. And then there's a discussion around it. And that discussion is very much like the Oracle of Delphi in some ways, in that the reader is going to take what they need, what they're looking for from that day. But the biggest difference is that almost every other daily reading type of book that I've come across, you just read stuff and then there's no guidance. Motivation comes about from action. And so every day there is an actual action item in the book to take what we discussed and bring it to fruition. And that is how people start changing their mindsets and behaviors. So Rich, for example, what's your birthday? November 24th. November 24th, okay. It's like Thanksgiving. So November 24th, the, qu the quote is, we're learning things every decade we grow through. And ultimately you do end up with a very different way of looking at things, Florence Pugh. And here's part of the discussion. Think about that you have 10 years ago. You probably look back and say, I was such an idiot. If I only knew then why I knew now. A decade from now, you'll say the same thing. That's called growth. That goes on, has all sorts of discussion and all that. And the action item is, look back at the you of a decade ago. What has changed with your family, with your job? Now look forward 10 years from now and ask yourself who you need to become to have that person come into being. Pretty deep. 10 years ago, I was on a mountain in Afghanistan, so it was good. <laughs> and here I am now in Tennessee, so it's good. <laughs> So the big question is, where are you going to be 10 years from now? Hopefully fully retired. Okay. And relaxing. And what, <laughs> what does the 10 year from now, Rich, have to tell today, Rich, to make sure that that vision of being fully retired comes to fruition? Pushing forward. Keep pushing for the, for the light. Chase your goals. Okay. So even in the rain and, you know, the wind, keep moving forward. Exactly. It's the same thing that uh, you have to do when you're doing your ultras. I'm sure you, you have to play mind tricks on yourself doing an ultra and, and play that psychological game as you get into the, the mile 50. And you're like, why did I sign up for this? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, so, like, on my first one, I got to mile 40, and I had nothing left, physically, emotionally, or whatever. And one of my friends called me, and she was having all sorts of problems. So the last bit of reserves that I had been saving – I expended on her, trying to help her solve her problem, talk her down. And so I didn't notice that I was completely almost hallucinating and bonking and all that over the last dozen miles. Wow. <laughs> Mind eraser. Yeah, that's, that's what that, I mean. My first marathon, I didn't realize I was actually running it. Didn't turn my iPod on until after mile 16. Was, I, I was so pumped up to do it. And there were so many people. I just ran and talked, ran and talked. And at mile 16, I was like, there's no music going on. What's happening? <laughs> I learned first play, and my first song came out. Well, I got 26 miles to go, I guess, and I, and I started running. So, 10 miles with music, 16 with nothing, just on a pure adrenaline. And it was. And, and you know what? That you probably avoided the wall pretty well, simply because of that psychological trick. 
because yeah, I didn't think about it, and it, it helped me to get over that hump. And I think that's mm-hmm. the same thing that happened to you right there when you, your friend called in in distress, and you helped your friend, but at the same time, unknowingly, she was helping you to get through. Exactly, and and so loving. What's what's the saying? You know, loving somebody else gives you strength. Right. Definitely. So having that bigger thing to serve allows people to be able to do great things like the veterans on this call, like the parent who has to, you know, reach into the reserves to do something for their children. And, you know, so being a special needs parent has helped me in a lot of ways in terms of building the business, running the ultra marathons, writing the book, doing all these sort of things. And so this is one of the things that I encourage parents is have your kids do hard things because it teaches them the ability to overcome. It teaches them resilience. It teaches them to develop these reserves that they can tap into down the road. And that's one of the, I'll get out of my soapbox for a moment. And that, you know, too many people who have never worn a uniform or served in some capacity don't understand the importance of having something more important. You know, it's like the old saying that the name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back. So having a bigger commitment, where it's your faith, where it's your belief in our country, where it's your commitment to your family will help you do what you need to do. And that can be not just being willing to die for it, but also, as you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, basically, being willing to live, to reach out and get the help that you need, to stop smoking so that you can walk your daughter down the aisle, to change your diet so that you don't develop diabetes and you know get your leg cut off. These are the things that having that vision, people without a vision will perish, it says in the Bible, makes you stronger and willing to resist the short-term feel-good temptations or avoidances and ultimately have a much better life. Exactly. You know, being a parent of a special needs, uh, it's a son or a daughter, I'm not sure. But... I got my oldest and my youngest son, they're both special needs. Okay. So that was, I mean, when I, when you found out they were special needs, was that was a challenge you had to take on head on at that point and, and try not to dismiss it and be there for them while also pushing them to do do things on their own without the extra help. So how did you, uh, I guess, tackle that as they were younger and you were just learning at the time? Yeah. And so there is a absolutely huge learning curve when you find out that, you know, your kid's bipolar or your kid has autism and ADHD. So you become a sponge a lot of ways. So a lot of my understanding of psychology comes from the deep dives that I did starting about seven years ago when these situations just came up and one right after the other too. So it was, you know, getting hit with the left and the right hook. And so you get this learning curve. So you have to start absorbing things and you also have to come to an understanding that your world is going to be very different now because I had to shift my, um, work schedule and attention so that I could be there for the kids more often uh, as was needed. I had to uh, 
I mean, my one son was thrown out of three daycares in six months because he couldn't control himself as we were starting to figure out medicine and communication and things like this. And you develop uh, their IEP, their individual education plan, and you realize that it's going to be five years minimum of getting my kid to the point where they can be in a regular classroom, where they can be normal, as normal as they can be. And that was, as I said, seven years ago. And my youngest is doing very well, but he still requires special attention and medication and oversight in a lot of ways. And so it's coming to the point where, and he's not nearly as bad as some of my other friends who have kids with needs, uh, that it could be your entire life that you are now in a somewhat caregiver mode. And so it changes how you look at things in a lot of ways. And I think that goes back to the things that are bigger than, than you said, just said earlier, sometimes things are a lot bigger than you and you have to slow down a little bit to pump them brakes and learn like you had to on the fly to yep. not just be a dad, but a dad and learn how to take care of, your sons who needed extra help at that point, not just a exactly. And then you also, because of that, you start making, I want to say sacrifices, but you learn to be much more stringent with time requests. No, I'm not going to do that volunteer work, you know, because other people can do that. They can't come on in and take care of my kid. No, I'm not going to take on this project. You know what? The dishes they can wait until tonight after the kids go to bed because you know I'm going to spend that time with the youngest. So you learn to start having different boundaries in some ways. And it, you learn how to effectively utilize your time better so like, you know, I, it's only recently in the past year and a half that I started ultra running because I didn't have the time. I went from, you know, two, two and a half hours a day of martial arts before my youngest was born to 20 minutes a day. Oh, wow. Okay. And that produces all sorts of changes and it also produces changes in your dynamic with your significant other that you need to be aware of and be ready to work on. Right. And so going from about two and a half hours of Taekwondo a day, getting to get some of your daily frustrations out as well as exercise for two and a half hours, along with whoever else you were working out with at the time down to, you said 20 minutes. That's a big difference in training and big difference in losing your passion. That's something you were passionate about. You were doing a long time. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, you know, competing for an Olympic spot before I had kids. Wow. And that, you know, got put on the back burner. But, but you wouldn't change that though. So it's, you, you had to, you yep. had a chance. Now, now you're an ultra marathoner and they're your support team now. Hopefully they throw water. Actually. Out. Yeah. When I did my first ultra, I uh, brought my youngest out and he ran uh, a couple of blocks with me because he was not, you know, good runner and all that. But my middle one then ran a 5k with me. And that was about uh, noon. And he was so inspired that he went out and ran the rest of a marathon that day on his own. Wow. 
Wow. So, you know, that was a big inspiration. And uh, two days ago, my youngest actually ran his first 5K. Nice. So it, the example that we set in some ways can, without necessarily saying anything, the younger generation can pick up from. And so that made me exceedingly proud. Definitely. Our actions can mentor someone without saying a word to them. They can just see what you're doing and say, that's pretty cool. I want to do that too. And like your son running those miles on his own, even after he was done doing that 5k, that's outstanding. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm a Cub Scout and Boy Scout leader is because a lot of these kids don't necessarily have a good role model or, you know, multiple good role models. And so this is one way to give on back and to help them out. And my Cub Scout pack, I'd say actually about a third of them are special needs. And so one of the things that I do is I take the special needs parents to the side and talk about their kids and what's going on with them. And I give them hints based on things that I picked up through my experience and being on the board of the Autism Society and access to resources and things like that. So there is a tremendous benefit to them and it's just another example that I picked up from my parents, really, on serving others. And you'll never have to worry about yourself. Exactly. That's a great way to great way to do things. I had a daughter, so I didn't get she didn't want to be a girl scout, not do any of that stuff. But she did. She did want to pick up a sport I never played before, which was soccer. It's New Jersey, we didn't play soccer much. We played football, baseball, basketball, and mm-hmm. repeat football, baseball, basketball, repeat. And, I have a daughter and she wants to play soccer. I was like, okay, I'll figure this out, I guess. And it took me a long time to figure it out, but I became her coach and we went to Korea and she won the Peninsula Championship there. And that was a, a highlight for soccer for us. And I, my wife missed it because she had to work that day, but I was able to call her and say, hey, your daughter scored. Hey, your daughter scored. Hey, your daughter scored. And rub it in that she missed it. But it, it's a great to see it happen. <laughs> but also, you know, you were there to support. You were there to, because... You know, soccer is not one of those things where you show up once and you, or, and you drop the kid off. I mean, you got to be at the field and, you know, it, it's not a short cycle thing. And having kids do something difficult like soccer, like any sport, they're learning to push themselves. They're learning teamwork. They're learning rules of the game. They're learning to lose properly and also to hate losing so that they work harder to win. And so we need more competitive sports in this country for kids to learn these rules and these challenges that translate into life. I mean, life is the ultimate game. And so playing more games early is going to better prepare them for down the road. Definitely uh, teach them that sometimes you do lose and you're not always going to be given a, a trophy every day. You're going to have to nope. get that. You're going to fall down, but you got to get back up every day. And that's something. I and think. yeah, you don't get trophies. I mean, my kid uh, got a trophy for like uh, soccer. And he's like, why did I get a trophy? I'm like, you know, because they give them to everybody. He's like, that sucks. Only winners deserve trophies. I'm like, you are my kid. <laughs> They're never going to want you back here, but that's great. <laughs> that's awesome, though. And in the intro, I, I said you're a, a Kaizen expert. What is that? So Kaizen is the Japanese idea of continuous improvement. And we really first started hearing about Kaizen in the 1970s with Toyota, 
uh, coming on in with their cars and their cars were horrible back then. But every single person on the assembly line was empowered to stop the line, to make improvements and all that. And so they got better and better and better in these very short cycles and produced a level of quality that Detroit was unable to do at that point because of the structure. And they kept getting better and better. So my theory is that we can apply this concept of continuous improvement to ourselves. And we can apply this in multiple ways. I'm a big fan of James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And the big thing on that is habit stacking of just at doing little things differently that produce great results. I mean, going back to the ultra running, most people don't just go out and run an ultra marathon like David Goggins because he's a freak. You know, most people get off the couch and they go around the block a little bit. Then they go for a couple of miles and they do a 5K maybe. Then they schedule a 10K a couple of weeks or months out and they extend their distance and they're changing their eating habits and their sleep patterns. And it compounds. And over a year or two, you can see a tremendous difference in them, especially if they start doing longer distances, half marathons, marathons, going beyond. You can see this in martial arts. Every single new martial artist sucks. It's just the way it is, okay? But then you start practicing and you learn techniques and you practice them over and over and over again. One example is I, the first technique I learned in Taekwondo was a horse stance center punch. And I still do that punch 100 plus times per day each hand. I have done that punch over 10 million times in my life. I don't have to think about it. I just do it. And every single morning, part of my morning routine is I still get up and I do that punch at least a hundred times with each hand. Wow. Okay, so it doesn't matter if it's martial arts, learning an instrument, learning a language, practicing a new sport, learning art. We can continuously improve with focused practice. And it is that practice that focus practice over time that produces excellence. And we can do this in multiple different areas. Like I said earlier, our relationships, our nutrition, our educational approach, our physical health, our mental health. So it is taking the time to invest in improving ourselves that you get the best dividends. And so if you do this, you can go and get that degree. You can go and lose that weight. You know, you're not going to lose 100 pounds overnight, but if you make the continuous effort, you can get back into that healthy position. And oh, by the way, then the diabetes probably goes away. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you feel better and, you know, you lower the stress on your body. So you have less, uh, um, you know, negative production of, cholesterol, you know, your heart's going to be in better shape. You're going to be happier. Your brain's going to work better. You're going to live longer. You're going to be more productive at work. You're probably going to be a better person to be around. So these different things, excellence is a cross-disciplinary concept in that having excellence in one or two areas will carry over into other areas of your life. And it is much more holistic in the end. Definitely. And 
and you said that Toyota Auto Works in the 70s, it made me think of the movie Gung Ho in the early 80s. That is exactly it. And how they came here to show us their way, and and that's basically what they were doing, trying to teach them to improve their, their processes. And now if you look at Toyota now, leading the way in trucks against, against the behemoths of the Toyota, against Ford, Toyota, against Chevy, and they're, sure. they're right there with them. And it's because they continuously improved over time to stay with the big guys and who are now there, the big guys trying to stay with them. Exactly. So another example of that is uh, Dave Grohl from Nirvana and the Foo Fighters said that, you know what? Everybody sucks. Okay. You're going to get in a band with your buddies and you're going to suck. And then you're going to keep practicing and you're going to suck less. And then you're going to play a couple of gigs and they're going to suck, but then they suck less and you keep it up. And over time, you're pretty good and you keep it up. And eventually you're freaking Nirvana. Right. <laughs> Go from being a drummer in Nirvana to the lead singer of Foo Fighters. So, exactly. And I wonder what his next gig's going to be now. Host of something, probably. <laughs> that's what that's the usual thing, or he'll be on The Voice or something next. And that, that'll, that'll be his culmination affair. <laughs> so, Joe, how does someone get in contact with you to have you either speak to them or teach them how to be excellent? So, the best way is to go to my website. You can find the book on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and all that sort of stuff. You can also get at my website though, which is everyday-excellence.com. That's everyday-excellence.com. And the reason why I say go to the website is because six days a week, I put up a microblog, so additional stuff. All the podcasts live there. It's gonna have a link to the YouTube channel. So there's all sorts of additional resources in the entire environment for people to be able to increase their excellence. Plus they can end up reaching out and engaging. Awesome. And uh, if you can give three tips to a young man or young woman coming up and uh, starting a starting a business, say now an entrepreneur, three tips for them to make that an excellent uh, uh, venture. What would that be? Mm -hmm. One, figure out the one thing that you need to do every single day and then do it. I don't know if it's picking up the phone 50 times or sending 100 emails or knocking on 20 doors or you know having five global hours, whatever it is, find out that one thing and do it every single day, no goose eggs. Two, continuously invest in yourself because I don't care if you're selling widgets or coaching services or what have you. The better you make yourself, the better you're going to be at your job. And three, remember that in any decision that you make, whether it's with your work, with your relationships, with your health, you can basically have two outcomes. You can choose what feels good in the moment, what is convenient, what is easy. You know, that's eating the donut. That is, you know, smoking the cigarette. That is hitting the bottle. That is having the affair. But, you know, that is taking the quick way out. Longer range, though, that leads to worse outcomes. You know, that leads to diabetes. That leads to divorce. That leads to, you know, cancer. Well, you know, the decision that feels good in the moment generally is going to take you to the path to health it's gonna lead you to worse outcomes. Or you can do what sucks in the moment. What is harder? There's activation energy around it. 
which is, you know, uh, cracking open the book instead of playing video games. It is eating the healthy meal instead of the cheeseburger, even though I love cheeseburgers. <laughs> it is not having the smoking. It is having the difficult discussion with your significant other or your kid that then prevents bad stuff from occurring. If you do the difficult, the hard thing up front, life's going to be a lot easier. So choose to do the hard things because it will make you in the environment around you better longer. Outstanding. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for those tips. Listeners, heed those tips and uh, you'll have their, your better business and more of excellent approach to your life. Like Joe has uh, showed you through this, you take care of the bad things, get them out of your way, and your day will be much better, more productive, and stack those victories. Joe, thanks again for taking some of your time to hang out with us here on the Misfit Nation. Again, I'll say let's go Mets as we start to sign off here. But again, thanks for coming on and joining us. Rich, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to talk to your listeners. Be excellent and grow today. Awesome. Thank you.